you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. stream somewhere and pick up uh, next Wednesday or the next Wednesday and continue with the teaching uh, in order to have enough time to do it justice. I've decided that when I spend the energy, the effort, and the time in study and preparation, that uh, getting up and rushing through something and here not being able to ingest and understand and comprehend uh, seems futile. It seems like that we would be better off to slow down, teach the portion, understand the portion, come back and pick it back up and, and teach in more of a series style, not because that's popular. Uh, it is a popular method of teaching, but because I believe it is more effective for us. And so we'll see what the Lord has for us tonight, how far I get. Um, just see what the Lord wants to do. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse number 31. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, thou, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. They were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this, for with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they came out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with 
divers' diseases brought them unto him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. I'm going to stop reading there. Now, there's a lot of preaching and a lot of teaching in this passage that I just read. As a matter of fact, there are about three very full stories uh, and messages of the power of God, and we could we could preach probably line upon line for through this passage and preach for weeks uh, through what I just read to you tonight. But I'm going to try to draw out of this some very key points that are, I believe, related, and we're going to see what is related through the passages, in this passage, through the stories that are put in sequence of how that Jesus ministered and ministered to the needs in the city. There were a lot of devils cast out in this story. There was a lot of sickness and diseases healed. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of rebuking of people for Jesus was trying to keep his fame uh, undercover, and yet it was noised abroad. People were coming to him. And then he tells them in the end the very purpose for which he was sent. Now tonight, I'm going to talk to you about three important places of ministry. Now this is important to us, and I want to visit this and maybe revisit this with some of you, that we understand. We have been talking a lot about vision in the church, what we are doing, why we are doing what we are doing, and so tonight it is crucial, it is so very important that we uh, take a deep walk into these passage, into this passage, and we seek um, the depth of Scripture to see what it is that the Lord wants to say to the church. Um, there are three important places of ministry that are related through these um, few verses that I read tonight. It begins, the storyline begins in Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And the Bible says right in the front, in the 31st verse, that he taught on the Sabbath day. And in verse 33, it tells us where he taught. He taught in the synagogue. So it was the three important uh, places for ministry. The first that I'm going to dive into tonight is going to be where Jesus taught and the ministry of the Sabbath day in the synagogue. And then we're going to take a look at the next thing that Jesus talked about in this passage as it told us in verse 38 that he arose out of the synagogue. He left the church in verse 38. And where did it say that he went? He went to where? To Simon's house. Everybody say the house. So he went to the house. And this wasn't a certain day. The Bible didn't tell us it was a certain day. He rose out of the synagogue and it was through the, throughout the week because on the Sabbath day, he was in the synagogue. So sometime after the Sabbath day, Jesus goes, after leaving the synagogue, he goes into Simon's house. And we're going to look at the, the daily ministry of the house or the home. And the third thing that Jesus talks about in this passage that we are told about in this passage of what Jesus did is that in the end he tells them that I must preach the kingdom 
to other cities. Now, granted, for those of you that are Bible scholars, and I know every time I walk to this pulpit, sometimes I'm reminded of the numerous, uh, the, 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 the number of Bible students that are in this room that know the Bible forward and backwards, Bible college students, Bible college graduates, ministers, preachers, and I do understand I chose tonight to skip uh, over one of the places of ministry here, and it's where Jesus went to, because Jesus went to the desert place. And so there is the ministry of the dry place. But I didn't want to get up here and preach on Sun on Wednesday night, and I don't think I can talk about the ministry of the dry place without preaching. I'll save that for a Sunday for us. Because the ministry of the dry place is, I, I feel the Holy Ghost just, just mentioning it. And, and there's a lot of inspiration there of the ministry of the dry place. But I want to point out the third place that Jesus, that I'm going to point out that Jesus talked about where he ministered was he said that I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. And then those last five words of the text that I use tonight, for therefore am I sent. So he preached that I must preach to the cities for which I am sent. And so I'm going to talk about the, the important ministry of being sent out of the synagogue and out of the house and into the cities, or if I could put it the way another writer in Scripture talks about it, into the highways, the byways, and the hedges. And so therefore, getting the gospel message into the cities. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Scripture talks about uh, something that I've heard preached most of my lifetime, and that is a very famous verse of Acts 1 and 8, and it, when I start it, you could quote it with me tonight, and that would be all right, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me un, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So now, now look, there were four places once again, and we could talk about what each of those are, and we could talk, we could we could break those apart in what Jerusalem is, uh, Judea is, Samaria is, and the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, I do believe that it that that the layout and even the order of Acts one and eight is so very important because Jerusalem was the home place. So before we start getting too carried away about what we feel like God wants to do through us uh, across the seas and over over around the world, we need to talk about what God's going to do through us at home. We had, I had, throughout my ministry, I've dealt with this on more than one occasion where I, I'm going to just call it what it is tonight, and I mean no disrespect, I'm just calling it for exactly what it is, but someone who felt a call to ministry but did nothing at home felt like God wanted to send them across the seas to do ministry. And I tried to talk to them and explain to them that our first thing, the first place the gospel has got to be preached is in Jerusalem. This is your Jerusalem. And so before we get carried away about teaching Bible studies uh, across, the, across the seas, let's get some Bible studies taught here in Jerusalem. And if you look at the correlation and, and the scripture, Jerusalem, Judea is the surrounding areas of, of Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And so I believe even as a church that we have an obligation to our city, to the county and region, then to the state, and then to the nation. We've got to make it all the same. And so that's, I, I believe that that was that was the command, the witness in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world, is a pattern of Scripture that is telling us about what we should look at when we think about ministry. Now, when I use the word ministry, I don't want anybody to get nervous because I believe 
that every one of us who have been born again of the water and of the Spirit, that Acts 1 and 8 is for us. But you shall receive power after, not after God calls you to preach. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come. And you shall be witnesses. Everybody wants to say, whoa, I got power. I remember as a kid growing up, I didn't understand everything about the church. But I remember a lot of fire being preached about receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. And that word, of course, comes from, uh, in, in its original form, is dunamos, which also translates to what we know as dynamite. And so um, we could we could properly translate this, and you shall receive dynamite after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so they talked about firepower. Boy, we've, and I've heard it preached, and people shout, and people dance, and people run aisles when we're talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. And I believe it from the top of my head to the sole of my foot, not discounting the power of the Holy Ghost, but the power of the Holy Ghost will make you, the Bible clearly tells us what it will make us do. doesn't make us jump and run and shout and all the above that we want. It will make us first and foremost witnesses. And so before we get carried away with the power of the Holy Ghost to cast out devils and tread on serpents, we have to worry about the power of our witness. And so we can just stop right here and I could teach the next three weeks on the power of our witness because our witness is what people know about us. Our witness is not what we tell people, it's what we show people. It's what we example before people. So if people know us as being uh, being rebellious and being uh, froward and, and, and not uh, not not being very Christian in our spirit and in our attitude and in our in, in our doings, in our business and all the above, then that is the witness that we are giving them. But the Holy Ghost will give us power to be a right witness. Therefore, we ought to live above sin and above the reproach of sin in everything that we do. And so I believe every one of us are called to be witnesses. And so before we worry about preaching or, or, or heading around the world, I'm, I'm not discounting that. That's, there's a calling to all of those things. And, and I, believe God, I believe God develops us and grows us. But I don't think he's going to take somebody that, that doesn't have the basic doctrines figured out yet and send them around the world to spread mediocrity. I believe what he's going to do is develop things in us and effectiveness in us, and as he def- as he develops effectiveness in us, that our calling and our ministry, the scripture said, will make room or make place for itself. Meaning we don't have to knock down doors and get mad at people because doors aren't opening for us. If ministry is there, doors are going to open. If witnesses are there, doors are going to open. We're going to see effective ministry. So it's how it happens. It's not It's not really, we, we try to say, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Not true. Not in the things of God. The Lord gives us a biblical pattern. It is a heavenly pattern to earth. And he tells us how things should develop in us. And I believe that every one of us are called to be ministers. I didn't say you're called to preach, called to be a pastor called to travel around the world, called to be a missionary. That's not what I'm telling you, but what every one of us are called to minister. And that means we have places that we can minister. It may be ministering to our family, ministering to our spouse, ministering to our children, ministering to our brother, ministering to the person in need, ministering to the homeless, ministering to the elder. It may, The ministry is, is that's a broad road. But in the middle of all of that, I believe every person that has been born again of the water and of the Spirit received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the baptism of the Holy Ghost becomes the power to be a witness. And we're going to just focus there tonight on where our witness is the most powerful. So I don't want anybody to take what I'm, what I'm teaching tonight and take it out of context and feel, well, Pastor got up and called... Uh, 
many peoples in this room tonight uh, called everybody to preach. No, I'm calling us to minister. That means if my brother is weak, if my brother's going through it, I ought to have the power to be a witness to them and help them. And in other words, if I've been through it and they're going through it, I need to have a testimony to witness to them. And that is called ministry. And so these, these things are all so very important to us. Let me stay on my topic tonight. So we are to be witnesses at home, in the region, in the nation, and then in the uttermost parts of the world. And so this is how it works. So Luke chapter 4 verse 31 talks about Jesus teaching them on the Sabbath days in the synagogue. Everybody say the church. So the synagogue was the Jewish church. Just making it very simple. It was the Jewish church still today called the synagogue by those that are that are Jewish. I have no problem if uh, a Christian church wants to call their church a synagogue. I know what it means. I know what it is. It is just the church. It is the gathering place of the people of God. And so everybody say the church. The church is where our witness and our calling begins. Before we minister outside the church, we first need to learn to minister to those whom we that are of the household of faith, meaning the members of the local assembly. So I believe our first calling is to be a servant, a laborer, a witness, an encourager of those whom God has joined us together with. For we are a building that the scripture said is what? Fitly framed together. It's all right for you to talk back to me when I'm teaching a little bit. So we are a building that is fitly framed together. It also says that we are a body that is formed together. And so it talks about how can the hand say to the foot or how can the eye say to the ear that it is not needed. They have different functions. And so we must understand this when we talk about the church. Everybody has a function. It is not appointed unto you by the pastor, by the board, by ministry leaders. Every person has a God-called appointment to the local assembly. Now, if you don't know what that calling is, then we need to seek to understand and learn what that calling is. That calling works through the gifts that God has given us. Some have gifts to sing. Some have gifts to play music. Some have gifts to clean. Some have gifts to make our yard look nice. Some have several, several giftings and can, can are gifted in many areas. And for those, they the Bible tells us that we are to, to choose or to find or to seek our best gift. And so we have to decide where, where is our best gift, not the gift we desire the most, but the gift where we are the most beneficial in the kingdom of God. And so understanding this, we are to use the giftings that God has placed upon us in the kingdom of God to be the most effectiveness. Now, ministry is completely misunderstood when we start thinking that ministry is about being served. As a matter of fact, the very word ministry does not does has no meaning into being served. As a matter of fact, the word is to be A call to ministry is a call to be a servant. When my brother is in need, I must be a servant to my brother or my sister. And a servant does 
not put himself first or think first of himself. A servant does the bidding of who? The master. Who is the master? It's Jesus Christ. And we are his hands. We are his feet. And so therefore, members of the body of Christ strengthen one another because the eye has an itch or an eye is burning or or the, the, the finger doesn't pluck it out. We find medicine that ministers to the need. And so therefore, as a member of the body, if our brother or our sister is in need, then we ought to be first and ready and available to minister to their need. We need to be strengthening to them, encouraging to them, lifting them up, being available to them. Now I understand, I, I've been at this for a long time. I was born and raised in a pastor's home. I've been around ministry all of my life. My dad was pastoring when I was born. I pastor a little differently than my dad. He reminds me every time we talk about it and tells me what I need to do to get better. He was very successful in his method of pastoring. It worked in his day. Perhaps still works today. My my giftings, my calling, my personality, I believe God works through all of those, and, and they are different from that of my father's. And I try to do what the Lord has called me to do. But before... Before I do anything, my calling is to be a servant to the local church in which God has called me. Now, I understand and I don't have time to break all of this down to you. My first calling, my first calling is to is to serve Christ. And that calling, that calling's unwavering. That calling is a universal calling that every one of us has. No, nothing we do in life ought to be greater than the call of God. And so my my relationship with Christ is number one. If anybody gets out of line with the word of God, I've had people come to me. I had a man some time ago came to me and tried to argue with me and tell me what God told him that was contrary to the word of God. And I told him you had too much bean soup last night because God will never violate his word. My relationship with God will be in order with his word. That's my first that's my first calling is to his word. My second calling is to my family. The calling to my family, I must see about their well-being. I've got a responsibility to that. One of my sons this week reminded me that a man that doesn't provide for his household is worse than an infidel. That is exactly right. I have a responsibility to my home and to my family, to my wife. I have a responsibility. And so that doesn't that that's not above my relationship with God, but it is my second calling. My third calling is the calling of God to ministry. And that calling to ministry is is very broad because every place that God chooses to use me in ministry, my first calling before I am involved in, and I am involved in district work, I have been blessed to, to serve ministers within our fellowship. Uh, I work in different areas of ministry among our fellowship, and that is a blessing that, that uh, I try to use some of the gifts that God has given me to minister and help others. But before I'm ministering there, my first calling is to the local assembly. This is my calling. It is higher than the calling of what I do out without. It is the calling to the local assembly. I believe that God has called me to this city, to this region, and to this congregation. And so my first calling is the calling to this particular synagogue. And it is, it is this church that God has called me to. And I have a whole list of definitions of things that God has told me that I have to do. And he's told me in his word. I'm not making something up and telling you that God spoke this to me out of a, in a dream. It is written in the word of God that I have, I need to make full proof of my ministry. I am to exhort, to reprove, to rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. 
preach the word in season out. I have a whole list of responsibilities to this local assembly that are given to me in this book. So somebody comes along and says, well, boy, I'm going to get mad at the pastor because the pastor isn't preaching what I think he ought to preach. Listen, I have no obligation to preach something that, that tickles your fancy. The Bible says time will come when people will have itching ears because they just want they want their ears they, I, I guess it means they want their ears scratched, whatever that tickling ears may mean. But I have no responsibility to entertain. But I have a responsibility to preach this word without fear or favor. It's a responsibility. It's a calling to ministry. And I have, a, I have my, the responsibility is very broad to a pastor. I am an under-shepherd, meaning I'm not the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. That's why you don't, you don't serve me, you serve him. But I have a responsibility to this flock, as the Bible puts it. And the responsibility to this flock is to be aware because in the end time, there will be, there will be those that will come as wolves in sheep's clothing. And so as a as a pastor, as a pastor, one of the fivefold ministry. Now, ministry is broad. There's when it comes to, to the called ministry, there's a fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And being called, and, and one may feel more than just one of those roles, by the way. But my primary my primary calling tonight, I am feeling filling the role as teacher. But my primary calling is a pastor. That's what God has called me to do. And so therefore, as the fivefold ministry that may unfold through me, there may be times that God puts a prophetic word and I operate in the gift of prophecy. Doesn't mean you need to start calling me a prophet. I'm just operating in the gift of prophecy. There may be there may be those, and, and, and you've heard it said, different ones make different claims. There is, I do believe that God has given this church a regional, a regional uh, authority, a regional uh, uh, draw. Uh, this is a regional church. You hear people talk about this, and they talk about apostleship, and that is those who have power given from God, spiritual authority, spiritual power, over the demonic forces of a region, of an area, the work of the apostle. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to make this all about fivefold ministry tonight. But as a pastor, I have the responsibility in my calling to protect the church, to make sure that false doctrine is not being preached, to make sure that the, the flock is not being scattered. Once in a while. The pastor's got to preach a strong word that may it may hurt us. It may even offend us because the Bible says it will. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts asunder even to the joint and the marrow, meaning the inside of the bone. The word of God will, will cut not just to the bone, it'll cut into the bone what the Word of God will do. So there's going to be times that the Word of God will come and it will cut us not just to the bone, but into the bone. It'll be the most painful that we can receive it. And we must make sure that we are prayed up to receive a strong Word that is coming to us from God. Not preached out of anger, but preached out of love for truth that is correction, that is preached in all long suffering. This is the work of ministry. And as the church, we have a responsibility when that is preached to us to receive the word with gladness, for it is for the salvation of our souls. And so when the word of God is preached, we have a responsibility to that. All of this ministry is the ministry of the synagogue, the church, this is where our witness and our calling begin. Faithfulness to the house of God 
is a prerequisite to any other form of ministry. If somebody's not faithful to the local church, I don't want to hear how anointed and powerful they are. Because I believe God honors faithfulness. And that's not just faithfulness in attendance, but that's faithfulness in your witness. That means it's not, well, I've done real good the last three weeks. Well, what about three weeks before that? Well, I lied, stole, cheated. Faithfulness. Consistency. But not just faithfulness, but fruitfulness. Now, I've, I've been part of some churches that that struggle with faithfulness over fruitfulness. You know, they're... Their favorite song to sing is, I am determined to hold out to the end or hold the fort. He's coming. But we must be about our Father's business. The Bible teaches us that we must be fruitful. He gave gifts, and the gifts that he gave were not to be hidden under a bushel. When he gave out the talents, the ten, the five, the one, when he gave out the talents, he gave them not to be reserved for the one said, oh, I only have one and I bring you back the one because I didn't do anything with what you gave me. And the Lord was furious with him. So whatever it is that God's given you, you must not hide it under the bushel. You must not refrain from investing and using it because we put ourself and our time, our energies and our efforts above that. That's why every one of us, somebody say that with me, every one of us, say that's me included. Every one of us ought to be giving back to the kingdom of God. We ought to find a place, an outlet for ministry, a place where we all get tired, we all get weary. Listen. I come to this pulpit sometime to preach, and I have heard my voice all I want to hear it. Sometimes I sit down to study, and my prayer starts out like this. God, I've told those good people everything I know and some things I didn't know. But somehow God will always give me a fresh word in due season because the word of God is life. And so the work and calling to ministry is not about us. And we have to be careful because we live in a day when, well, if it's not feeding me, if it's not giving me the thrills and chills and, and making, giving me joy, then I don't want to do it. I only want to do what, what's just feeding me. That's not in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about offenses. He didn't say take up your joyful celebration and shout, he said, take up your cross and follow. Oh, no, 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 I can't follow. I want to lead. You will never lead until you learn to follow. And that doesn't mean following with cheerleaders. That means following with a cross. And every time that discouragement starts to come over you while you are following, carrying the cross, look away to Jesus. Because he never had a cheerleader saying, come on, come on, you can make it. Come on, you can carry the cross. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. They were, they were jeering instead of cheering. They were, they were against him. They were mocking him. They were spitting on him. They were making false accusations against him. This is what carrying the cross may look like. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't give you the 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 the, the, the shivers and, and 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 make you make you smile and feel good. Sometimes service in the kingdom of God is the pain of the cross. I'm always careful, particularly when I talk about family, but I give accolades to my father-in-law. I come up here on Saturday. And this didn't just start, but this has been for years. It's been as long as I've known him. I've known him for almost 35 years, as long as I've known him. He may be the only one up here, but he'll have out a weed eater, a hedge trimmer, 
lawnmower, yard rake. He's around here doing something, cleaning, working. If I ever need something, I can call him. He's sick. I come up here and find him working. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Cindy said, you're sick. You need to be home in bed. I couldn't stand to be there with Becky any longer. I'm just kidding, Becky. I was just making sure y'all were awake because I looked and saw Becky nodding. She's still looking at me with a with a blank look on her face right now like, what just happened to me? I love you, Becky. <laughs> I'm in trouble, Beck. I'm sorry. I really am. Faithful ministry. That's a great example. You want to know what faithful ministry looks like? Look at some of our elders that that make their way here. I, I, Sister Thompson's going through a tough time. I, I was with my wife today, Sister Thompson. I, I know you don't like being talked about it publicly, but I'm just going to tell the church because I love you and I respect you. She drives all the way from Lafayette and gets here to church, and I complain if it's raining. A sickness in her body, facing surgery. She sends a text today just to let us know the night before surgery that she's not going to be able to be here at church. Sister Thompson, I think I think the Lord's going to understand that. I think you're going to be all right. When my wife shared it with me, I didn't I, I laughed and didn't cry. Because there's some people I look, are they here? Were they here? You have to ask. You don't know. Watch some of our faithful elders that they're not going to be in the house of the Lord the night before their surgery that we already know is coming and pick up the phone and send a text or send a call and say, Pastor, I can't be in the house of the Lord. That kind of faithfulness, boy, I don't know that I want to stand beside Sister Thompson on judgment day when the Lord starts looking at faithfulness because sometimes I feel like I complain over things that, 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 and then I look around and see others going through so much more than I am and not complaining and still being faithful. So the work of carrying the cross sometimes is painful, and it, but it calls us to faithfulness. Jesus didn't complain about it. He didn't pout about it. He went as far as he could go. The Lord said he wouldn't put more on you than you can bear. He said he wouldn't put more on, on you than you could bear. Faithfulness to the house of God is a prerequisite to any form of ministry. Everybody all right out there? I'll try to be mindful of time here. I'm not going to get past this first point tonight. I can already tell. I'm not going to get out of the church tonight. We must be in alignment with the house of God. We need the church. Oh, I ought to got a strong amen out of that. We need the church. There was a family in crisis last night. I'm not going to delve into this. A family in crisis last night. Brother Danny called me, just sharing with me a little bit about what was going on. Got up, left his house, left his kids, left his family to go be with another family that is in need. That's called ministry. You got a brother or sister that's in need, go lift them up. That's called ministry. That's what he's called us to do, brothers and sisters. When one is down, you got to lift them up. We are our brother's keeper. When one's going through it, be strength to them. Don't discourage them. Don't tell them to get over it. Tell them you love them, you care. Pray with them. Wrap your arm around them. Strengthen them with an encouraging word. Or just be there. Just be there. We need the church. We have Bible studies, classes, live stream, fellowship groups. None of these things will sustain you. It requires attendance to church. Attendance to church is important. Now, listen, I, I know I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd. I'm affirming you tonight. You know, they say if people come to church on Sunday morning, that they love God, they come on Sunday night, they love the church. Or, or I guess I got that wrong. They said they come on Sunday morning, they love the pastor Sunday night. They love the church. Wednesday night, they love God. 
church is an important, very important place to minister. There's no place any more vital than the church. While the church provides many resources, it specializes from Scripture and from its inception as the primary place of ministry. The primary place of ministry was the synagogue. And the church must be. The Bible gives us some clear examples of what the church ought to be. Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves, but my house shall be called a house of prayer. Brother Rusenauer fell sick Sunday night. Brother Dylan took the pulpit, opened the service, called us to prayer. I complimented him after service and told him, you did exactly what you needed to do. He called us to prayer. The church gathered around the front. We began to pray. We prayed for Brother Rusenauer. We prayed for other needs. We just focused for a little while on prayer. For almost an hour, we sang three or four songs, and the rest of the time we spent in prayer, and we just prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God. The church ought to be prone. Anytime this church wants to break out into a prayer meeting, I'm done. (laughs) This house ought to be a house of prayer. I don't ever intend to shut down a prayer meeting so you can hear my take on a scripture. Preaching is for the, is, is, is great. Preaching is good. Preaching is needed. As a matter of fact, the lost is saved because of preaching. But prayer is communication with God, communication with heaven. And if we can get people to pray, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And then I will heal their land. So the house must be a house of worship. The church ought to be a house of a prayer, it ought to be a place of worship. Oh, I didn't get an amen on the place of worship. It ought to be a place of worship. Listen, I, I get worried. I get worried when we come and feel like, and it's it's because worship goes against the flesh, just like prayer does. Just like the same struggle we have with prayer, most of us have with worship. That's because we let our personality and our feelings, we start worried about who's looking at us and who's, Listen, our worship needs to be outlandish. The worship service, the song service, the worship service when we're leading in worship. Listen, I, I've I already qualified this. I've been in and around the church my entire lifetime, raised in a pastor's home. When I was a child, back in the 1970s, my dad pastoring, I was old enough to understand what was going on. I remember people in the church being upset over the songs they were singing because they wanted to sing the old songs. Now people are upset because we're not singing the songs from the 70s. And you know what? Some of my some of my favorite memories of being in church were some of those songs that we used to sing. I grew up singing out of the songbook, songs in the 30s and 40s and 50s, early Pentecost apostolic songs. It's all right with me if you want to go back. Sister Cheryl feels like going back, singing some of those old songs. Perfectly fine with me. Have no problem with it. The Bible says to to, to also sing a new song. And so we sing songs we're familiar with and then we learn new songs. All of that, none of that matters. You know why it doesn't matter? Because worship is the only part of the service that's not for us. Worship is for Him. Worship is for Him. Whether you enjoy it, like it, don't like it, doesn't matter. Worship is for Him. And so when we're having worship service and I look around and I see people standing like a statue and they'll tell you, I'm just waiting for the preaching. Preaching is for you. He don't need my preaching. I'm trying to tell the church what he's already said to us out of his word. My job is to take this word and put it into storyline that people can understand and ingest and receive and grow from. My job is to try to say what the Lord is trying to speak to the church. That's for you. 
but worship is for him. That's why my worship ought to never be painful for me. I ought to worship him with ease. He's getting glory. He's getting honor. He's getting joy. When you clap when I'm preaching, you clap because you like what I'm preaching. But when it's worship and you start clapping, you're clapping for him. Uh-huh. We got to be careful because we can we can get to worshiping and praising what the preacher's saying, but not praising what he is saying and what he is doing. And so our worship is about him. So when we come into the house of the Lord, we ought to be careful that we don't sit on our hands and hold our voice because that is for him. Well, I don't sing well. Sing off key then. There's a few that already do that. Sing unto the Lord and make a joyful noise. On key, out of key, make a joyful noise. If your voice is gone, praise Him with the instrument of ten strings. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto the Lord. Dance before the Lord. People all a bunch of crazy Pentecostals. Well, if we're crazy Pentecostals, then why did the Scripture tell us clearly that these are methods and ways that we are to worship Him in His presence? So the house, the, 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 the synagogue, the church is a place of worship. And so we have a calling to prayer. And we have a calling or a responsibility as ministers. We have a calling to, to be worshipers. The, the house of God, the church, must be a place of demonstration and power. I don't want to be part of a dead, dry church. Listen, listen. If this church ever decides you want to be a dead, dry church and you want to buck up against somebody trying to lead us in worship and you want to sit on your hands and fold your arms, I'll just go, I'll go down and, 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 and we'll, we'll just get another building and you can become ecumenical and sit with your folded hands and wait and see if God moves in your silence and no worship. Because it isn't going to happen. But I want to be part of an apostolic church. I'm talking about a church. I just read to you what Jesus did. He cast out devils. He healed people. Uh-huh. And he did it in the synagogue. And he did it in the house. And he did it in the city. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. So we ought to come to the house of the Lord expecting demonstration of power. The spirit of expectation. Sister Chelsea, many years ago, made a statement. Somebody asked her, what is it about CLC? And she said, we just have to come and visit. And the only way that she could describe it was she said, expectation. And that is the key. We must come with expectation. We are expecting God to heal somebody. We're expecting miracles to happen. Oh, I love it. You see, we go through our season of prayer and fasting. We get sensitive to what God's doing. And we come in. God didn't change. We just are in a season of prayer and fasting. We get sensitive to God. And people are like, well, ain't no way I'm going to miss that awakening season, boy. I mean, there ain't no telling what God's going to do during that awakening season. There ain't no telling what God's going to do on this Wednesday night. If you, It's just about expectation. You've got to come in here on Wednesday night and say, I don't know. Somebody may come sick and leave healed. Somebody may come broke and leave, leave healed. Expectation should be our culture, should be the attitude toward the church and service. During COVID, we were online. But the reason that our online services couldn't sustain us is because of what happens in service. My wife got up and tried to, tried to teach a lesson that she was preparing for general conference. And she spoke it here on a Wednesday night. She made changes, repaired it, made, perfected it, came back. I mean, she, it was wonderful, wonderful material. I was here on a, a, a night, and I sit and listen, and I go, wow, powerful. Nobody was in the room. She was just recording, just her and the camera, a handful that was here making the 
making a video and it worked and I edited it and sent it in. But then when she got in the room at General Coffin, it, I don't know, a couple hundred people there. I don't know how many people was in the room. It was full. I didn't count chairs. I came in and a little late, rushed to the front, try to be there to support her. She got up and began, those people, people have driven, driven from all over the country, and they came because they wanted to be there. And nobody was there because they had to be. They got, they drove from all over the country just to get there. They paid money, spent money to get there, and they saw who was teaching, saw this subject matter, and they came. They came in with notepads and paper, and they came in with their iPads and, and devices ready to take notes, and they came in. They were waiting on every word. And about three or four minutes in, she said something powerful, and, and somebody responded. The next thing you know, that whole room just exploded. And I was like, Lord, have mercy. She started teaching. She didn't even get to end what she was teaching. By the time she got near the end of teaching, the Holy Ghost fell in the room, rushed into the room. It was like a book of Acts experience. The Holy Ghost swept into that room. Powerful prayer as, as gifts of the Spirit. Spirit began to operate in powerful prayer. The back doors opened. Prophets of God began to walk in the back of that place and said, I heard something and felt something that just seemed familiar. People began to lay hands on one another. It was an amazing moment. What is it that caused it? Why did it happen that way? Because somebody came in with expectation. I recognize the time. I will, I will end by 8.30. Real ministry doesn't take place in the pulpit, but it takes place in the altars. Now, I'm talking to the saved church here tonight, and if you're not part of the saved church tonight, you're going to be before long because you're here on Wednesday night. You're hungry for what God's doing. God's going to fill every one of you with the Holy Ghost if he hasn't already. And if you haven't been trained in how to do all to work, keep your eyes and ears open. We're going to be bringing evangelists in here and ministers in here that's going to be helping us grow in how to do all to work And as we approach what is coming over this next year. And there's going to be opportunities for us to grow and learn and to get better at these things and learn how to use our gifts. And, and all, all of these things are coming. This is part of what we're doing. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes altar call time, if you don't know what to do, get up here in the front and just start praising and worshiping. Don't come looking around. Don't come watching the, your, your clock, watching the watch. That's not how you want to have see people delivered. You want to see breakthroughs in the spirit. Come forward with faith and with expectation and just come forward and start praying yourself. If there ain't nobody for you to pray for, you start praying for yourself. Start seeking God for yourself. Start worshiping God. Just turn that moment into worship and just make it about you and him. And I'm telling you that atmosphere will absolutely change and shift everything in the room. Real ministry happens in the altar. And until we're effective in the altar, we're not going to be effective anywhere else. Our most effective spot needs to be in the altar. I've got to hurry. We've got to prioritize our altar. We must prioritize worship. We have a good church, but we must grow in some areas. We need engagement in worship, engagement in altar. This is These are some areas as a church that we need to grow. I don't want to offend you. I'm just pointing out where we are. These are areas of engagement that we need to grow. Some of you know how to worship. Some of you are elder. You know how to worship. You know what a breakthrough service looks like. You know how to worship. And we need our elders. If I don't call you by name, don't call you out, listen, I'm calling you out tonight. We need our elders to set an example to the younger. The scripture said, let the older women teach the younger. I believe the elders in the church ought to set an example. We ought to not let the kids come forward without the elders coming, mingling in with them. We ought to not let the kids come in prayer. We need to come up here and let our voice be heard. We need to lift, oh, I don't like to be heard. It's not about you. It's about him. Let your voice be heard. Lift your voice in worship. Lift your voice in prayer. Let it be heard. You're teaching others Converts may not know how, but when they hear an elder, they're like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to pray. 
That's how I'm supposed to worship. We need, we need our elders. If you're a leader in this church, you don't have the luxury of taking a break from prayer and worship. You don't have the luxury of coming in because we've had a bad day and saying, well, I'll catch it next week. I'm just in a bad mood. Listen, I had to come in here Sunday and preach like there was no tomorrow when my dog almost died. Got to make fun of it. I was determined I wasn't going to come in here and talk about my dog dying on Sunday. I was going to come in here and preach apostolic anointing and power and what God wanted to do. We pray and we worship. to take this church, we must passionately pursue our calls to minister. I've got to rush. I'm going to skip over a few things to, to get to the end of what of this of this first this first book that I approach today. We must value the church. It is a powerful place for ministry. Would a real estate agent run down a house that they're about to sell? Absolutely not. They find, Brother Scott, if he came up here and represented somebody that's selling a home, he may tell me, man, this place is a piece of junk, but he's not going to tell you if you're interested in the house. He's not going to come and tell you, well, this place is a piece of junk. What he's going to tell you is this place has a new roof. That's costly. That's nice. He's going to point out what's good. Well, he's misrepresenting. No, he's not. He's not misrepresenting. Not if he's pointing out what is good about it. The issue is, is the world points out what's wrong with the church. We need to point out what's right with the church. I'm going to get real personal here. But when people get on social media and start tearing down the church and speaking against the church, be careful what you put on social media. There are people watching you, and they you may not be meaning things against the church, but they will take your negative words and think you're mad at somebody in the church or mad at the church or mad at the preacher. Be careful. And when people openly start proclaiming negativity toward the church, you need to refute it in Jesus' name and declare, we have a great church. People get on social media and start all sorts of mayhem about ministry and about the church. I'll tell them, I'm sorry about your experience. That's not mine. I love my church. I love the people of God. I love what God is doing in our church. We need to accentuate what is right about the church. Well, I don't know what's right about the church. Well, look around you. You'll find what's right with the church. Look at our student ministries and these young people that are growing and becoming. Look at families coming together to support families that are dealing with death and loss. Look at families giving to those that are in need. Look at people giving their time off and their days off to build a building that's been sitting up here for a while that's going going to be used for ministry. Look at people volunteering. That's what's right with the church. Look at people that come on bad days, but they still manage to clap their hands and lift their voice. Look at the members laboring and toiling to clean the church and to be faithful when it would be easier to stay home. Look at people giving and saying, there's a lot right with the church. Stand with me. Church is the greatest place for ministry. The greatest place for ministry. I thank God for the church. You ought to just lift your hands right now and thank God for the church. It is where God ministers to our souls. This is where we repent of our sins. This is where we're baptized. This is where we're married. And this is where we'll be buried. I understand. I understand. But there's so much right that's going on in the church. I understand it's not perfect. I understand you're not going to like everything. I know hurts can come. I know friendly fire happens. But my goodness, this is a great place to be part of. Oh, we thank you for the church of the living God. We thank you for the church of the living God. Amen. Thank God for the church. We come back. I'm going to pick up when he left the synagogue and went to Simon's house. When we come back, I'm going to pick up there with the help of the Lord.
Lord, we're going to talk to you about the second place of ministry, and that is the house. God, we thank you for these great people that have walked into this house tonight, weary, tired, having worked, having sacrificed to get here into your house. Lord, you've met with us. Your presence and your power is in this room right now. Lord, I sense and feel your presence. Lord, I pray your strength over every family, over that family that's walking through dark days right now. Lord, I speak that the light of the Lord would come to them. Let this church love on them and lift them up and strengthen them. That family that's struggling, that one that's going through hardship and struggle, I pray that the Lord would be strength to them. Let it come through the church that you have established and that you've planted a seed. We thank you, Lord. 